wherever there are shadows, there are people ready to kick at the darkness until it bleeds daylight. This is Bleeding Daylight with your host, Rodney Olson. Thanks for listening. You can follow Bleeding Daylight and connect to our social media channels by following the links at bleedingdaylight.net. Please share Bleeding Daylight episodes and leave a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. What does it mean to be in the presence of God? Is it a meaningless religious phrase or a reality? My guest today talks about an encounter that transformed his life. Kevin White was nearly broke, had no job, and yet began generously putting food on the table for other families. Today, he's part of an organisation that feeds over 500 families in his area. He's just released a book called Audacious Generosity, and it's my pleasure to welcome him to Bleeding Daylight. Kevin, thank you for your time. Rodney, the pleasure is all mine. Thank you, sir. We so often hear people say that when they can afford it, they'll start helping worthy causes. They want to wait until they have plenty before they begin being generous. But by the sounds of it, you didn't wait. Right. We hear similar advice whenever young parents are contemplating pregnancy and the time to have their children. Some of the best advice they could ever be given is if you wait until you can afford it, you'll never have children. And so you better just dive in and realize that God is going to take care of not only you, but also your offspring, your children as well. The same goes with generosity. God is the giver, not us. And given depends upon what God puts into our hands. And I didn't know that at the time. I began to learn that since then, though. It's interesting, though, because so often we can look at what we have and not actually realize how much we really do have. So we can see ourselves against the backdrop of those that we might see on television or in the movies or whatever. We see other people living lavish lifestyles. And because we don't live that sort of lavish lifestyle, we believe that we're poor. And so we don't believe we have a lot. Do you think there's a lot to be done in helping us to understand how much we do actually have in our hands? Yeah. Uh, As you know, I'm founder and executive director of Global Hope India. Over the last 10 years, I've taken a thousand people over to India. I wish I could take 312 million people from the US over to India, because it really does help you to gain perspective, to realize that one of the poorest people in the U.S. is rich compared to the impoverished families of India. That can be a reality check. As someone myself who has taken people to see what poverty looks like, I want to ask you this question. How do we draw the line between what is just poverty tourism, going to see other people's misfortune, to to jolt ourselves into some sort of action, and how do we make those sorts of trips actually make a difference in the lives, not just of those we're going to serve, but in our lives. One of the last things I want to be a part of is helping someone put a a notch in their mission's belt, so to speak, Uh, to just go over on a mission trip to say, been there, done that. Um, I'm a good Samaritan. I've done my good deed. And now I can be free to go live my life. Genuine missions, in my perspective, is a lifestyle. A short-term mission trip can be very impactful toward that, but the discipleship of Jesus and fulfilling the Great Commission 
even in the Greek, that word go does not mean go one time. It is to keep on going. And so going over and seeing the less fortunate and beginning to develop the eyes of Jesus with compassion upon them is really a explosive to our spiritual formation to become the hands and feet of Christ, not just labeling ourselves as people of faith or as Christian, but actually becoming um, messy in the raw reality of human need. If you read the Gospels, that was Jesus. And so if I'm going to be a Christ follower, I can't just sit in my comfort on my sofa in a comfortable place of life and maintain this label of of being a Christ follower. I'm going to have to get up and begin to put feet in front of the other and be the hands and feet of Jesus. And if we if we truly follow Jesus, we're going to get messy and we're going to begin to see things that break our hearts the way that it breaks the heart of God. I mentioned in the introduction that you were not in a good place when you started to put food on the tables of others. Maybe you can take us back there. And, and what was the situation where you were almost broke, where you had lost a job? How did that come about? The quick version of the story is that I was a church planning pastor in the U.S. and had bled, sweat, and teared for three years with my family to start this church. It was for the most part, a very positive experience, though it was one of the most difficult parts of our life. And there began to be conflict in the third year after this church was organized. And I handled the conflict poorly. The conflict was a result of me uh, really becoming a workaholic for God because I was in bondage to the fear of failure. And no success was ever enough. No offering was enough. No attendance was enough. And I was literally driving myself crazy, our family crazy, these new church leaders crazy to a place that they had to make, a, a, I'm sure, one of the hardest decisions of their life. And they voted to dismiss me as pastor. This was really, in my perspective, one of the most devastating things I'd ever been through in my life. I was extremely broken. Uh, I felt so betrayed by God. A month after this vote, I remember just sitting in my garage being so angry. There was no punching bag in my garage, and I really wanted to punch something because I was so angry that God, that I had trusted, that I had served, allowed this to happen. The positive thing was that God didn't leave me there in that place of brokenness. He took me 8,000 miles away over to the country of India, my very first trip. And it was incredibly impactful. All during that church planning experience, I filled up journals begging God for the power of God, for the, for the peace of God, as, especially as this conflict broke open in the church. I was miserable. They were miserable. I definitely desired the peace of God. The problem was I was not pursuing the presence of God. And when I went to India, I saw people that had nothing. I saw orphans without sandals and toothbrushes. But if they had the sense of God's presence in their life, they truly exhibited so much joy. And I saw churches I've been a church planner for three years, but I saw churches without bulletins and budgets 
and without sound equipment, but they were passionately pursuing the presence of God. And I would have given up the crystal cathedral of the American church, if you will, to have been in a thatch roof hut any day of the week because there was such a powerful sense of the presence of God. And it really taught me, uh, humbled me that I had been pursuing so much to some degree, earthly wealth about, about what, what, what success looked like instead of pursuing the presence of God. And on that plane ride back it was really the first time in my life. I was, I, I had prayed the sinner's prayer and was baptized whenever I was 10. I went to Bible college after high school and have been in ministry uh, 10 years when this vote happened and I was fired. And so for almost 20 years, I have been living the Christian life without pursuing the presence of God. It had never been instilled in me a value that the whole point of the gospel, praying the sinner's prayer, reading the Bible, praying, going to church, tithing was the presence of God. And I was missing it. I was totally missing the point. And it was devastating in ministry. But on that plane ride back, I drew a cross and I remember writing out on the cross all these things that I used to pursue, good things, success, influence. And then I wrote another, drew out another cross and across it, I just wrote the presence of God. And in that plane seat, I committed for the first time in my life to passionately pursue his presence. And that changed everything. And so a few years later, after all of this happened, we found ourselves in a God-imposed moment of financial hardship. And I got to a place for the first time in my life where I could not feed my family. There was no food in the refrigerator or in the cabinets. Uh, I was free, even though there wasn't food. I, I had really come to a place of freedom in Christ unlike ever before. I didn't need the worldly things anymore as far as um, the measurement of success, because I was defining success by being in the presence of God. And as I would go into the presence of God, the verse, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will be given to you was really pounding in my heart. And I remember God just really helping translate that verse into continue to seek my presence and do the right thing. And as I was praying about my family's need for food, God began to give me compassion for other families that also needed food, but they didn't have the hope that our family had been given. And God got us, got me to a place of, of praying for the first time ever in my life, Father, give us food that others might eat. God was, was really just giving me faith that if I would join him in feeding other people, our family would eat as well. I remember even the thought, I can feed my family. I can go flip burgers, clean toilets, do something to feed my family, but, but only God can feed the multitude. I just continued to pray that prayer. Father, give us food that others might eat. I was in a grocery store near our home. I had $4 in my hand. I was going to find something that we could eat that day. And I ran into an employee of the store and I had never had any thought to do this but it just was a divine appointment. I just, out of nowhere, I just said, what do you do with your expired product? And she said, we throw it away. And I said, would you be open to a ministry coming and taking it to families that need it? She said, let me ask the store manager, come back tomorrow, I'll tell you what he said. I went back the next day and she pointed to three buggy fulls of rotisserie chickens, pizza, pasta, cakes, 
breads, everything the deli and bakery sold and said, take it. It filled up my car. And the next day it, uh, it happened again. And the next day it happened again. And within one year, we went from a family needing food to feeding 500 families a month with the help of 25 volunteer families. And it became known as with love from Jesus ministries. And that's still operating today. I'm no longer in leadership there. I've been founder and executive director of Global Hope India now for 10 years, but it's still happening today. Millions of dollars in needed resources are collected and given to high needs populations in order to have an opportunity to minister to them in their need and crisis of life. You touched on something very interesting there, talking about the fact that you were meeting all the requirements or hoping to meet all the requirements that we hear of in the Western Church of the great attendance and and all the things that we strive after here, and yet you saw something in the faith of people who were living in poverty. How much do you think we get so wrapped up in in the cultural Christianity of the West as opposed to this pure searching and pursuing God? Great question. We have a cultural bias to Western development, and that is a prevailing attitude that we have achieved this. As a Christian, we would cliche it by saying, by the grace of God, we have achieve this kind of success. But at the end of the day, our attitude is more of this is what good leadership looks like. This is what it takes to continue to succeed. And all of a sudden we began depending on ourselves and less on God for for success and measuring success based upon our Western standards instead of the biblical standards. And I remember putting so much pressure on myself. I mean, one of the one of the leadership principles back in that day was if it is to be, it's up to me. A very well-known leadership guru, if you will, would go around and make lots of money training leaders if it is to be, it's up to me. And everything rises and falls on leadership. There's truth in that, but none of that has any merit to it if it is not born out of the presence of God and in a dependency for the strength of God. And so I took what I was hearing, what my supervisors were encouraging me in, and I just bought it hook, line, and sinker and began to pressure myself to just lead and build and have more success. And it was never enough. Tell me about the beginnings of Global Hope India. You'd been on this trip. There's a life-changing moment there. But when did you decide, I'm going to start something here that's going to have an impact in this nation? I look back and a seed was actually planted on that first trip because I prayed, Father, let me bring all three of my kids to see your work in India. And so three years later, I went back with our 11-year-old son, Zach, and some friends from church. And then three years after that, I went back with our 11-year-old daughter, Courtney, and some friends from church. And so in the first 10 years, I only went three times to India. Every three years, I went. Another monumental event was a year later, after that very first trip, I received a letter 
from a pastor that I met there. And we had a 45 minute conversation during the trip, but he sent me a letter a year later. This was 1999. And I remember reading that letter and in it, he said a phrase I'd never heard before. He said, my wife and I have prayed and opened up our doors and began to care for orphan and disabled children. He said, I can no longer align myself with the Lord Jesus Christ and not take this action. Well, I'm a good old Southern Baptist Christian in the USA, and I'd never had anyone witness that they could no longer align themselves with Jesus and not take this action. It was such a a bold step of faith because on that trip, there was no bottled water in India. And I had taken six bottles of water in my luggage uh, from the U.S. and, And in that final day, I was about to throw my sixth bottle of water away, um, that just, just the empty bottle. And he said, brother, can I have that? My daughter could use it for her lunches. And I saw them, my trash is his treasure. And that was humbling. And now he's writing a letter and saying that he's going to take in these orphan and disabled children. And I thought, how will they, how will they survive? But God was obviously showing me that he's the God of feeding the multitude and that he would sustain this pastor and, and his children. And so the th- third year when I took our 11-year-old son, Zach, I went to his church and began to see God, the progress of, of those children. There were 35 children in that in that church and how God was sustaining them and feeding them. It was very humble. They were extremely poor, but they knew such joy. And Zach got to see that. And then three years later, Courtney got to see it. And then uh, I was brought on staff after founding and developing with Love From Jesus Ministries. Our Three years later, our, our church invited me to come on staff in 2008, and we began to help them to plant their multi-site campuses. That gave me access to people that would want to go on mission trips. And I'd gone to India three times. And so one team a year became two, became three. And three years into being on staff, this mission over in India was just blowing up. And my heart was pounding for the pastors of India. And so my wife and I prayed and then talked to our leadership and they blessed me to go and to work full time with Global Hope India. God called me to step out on faith and began to raise support as a missionary. And that was over 10 years ago. And I've now been to India over 50 times and taken a thousand people with me and raised millions for God's work in India. How difficult is it to actually bring the reality of what's happening in India to a country that's doing pretty well, like the US? How difficult is it to actually get that message across that you can't continue to align yourself with Jesus Christ and not act in this way? Extremely difficult. I wish I wish the US was compassionate toward India, but the reality is we're not. I can get bitter very quickly and frustrated very quickly, but that doesn't help uh, anyone. It doesn't help India. It doesn't help me. It doesn't help the U.S. And so I have to just really value the power of prayer and to realize that God is uh, a father of compassion uh, for his people and just continue to 
invite people to pray, give, go. That's the three pillars of Global Hope India, to pray for God's work in India, to give to God's work in India, and actually go and join God in his work in India. And so we've taken a thousand people with, with us. Praise God for that. We have a podcast, Missions Change My Life podcast, of interviewing those travelers and allowing them to share their testimony of how God has used missions to change their life. And little by little, just continue to influence as many people as possible with the need and the opportunity. Uh, I say very frequently, there's 7 billion people alive on planet Earth. Four have access to know about Jesus and three have limited to no access to know who Jesus is. And we just seek to keep that in front of people. You talked earlier about pursuing the very presence of God as opposed to just going through the motions. How much easier do you feel it would be to actually take the gospel to various nations if that dawned upon more people, if we really understood the presence of God and understood just how amazing that is? Do you think that we'd then realize that we must share this with others? Yeah. Well, I'm hoping one of the positive outcomes of COVID-19 is this sense of desperation for the presence of God. We have had so much division, racial division, political division, and fear is running rampant. My point is we are just more and more coming to an age and to a day that if you are not living aware of God's presence, finding peace in God's presence, listening to the voice of God, it's going to be detrimental. It is becoming increasingly difficult to navigate the news and the surroundings unless you've got some type of anchor in in the presence of God. And I remember 20 years ago, that was my reality. I was in a place of financial hardship and I could be in God's presence and there would be so much peace and I would have a sense of vision and a sense of faith, a sense of purpose. And then if I went out to look for a job, trying to fix my own problems, that peace left. And I began to, to know the difference then about living in the presence of God or stepping out of the presence of God and how detrimental that, that was. Well, we have unfortunately become a church of experiencing the presence of God on Sunday morning or in the weekend worship services at our church, and then not so much valuing the presence of God the vast majority of the week. One of the realities of COVID-19 that I'm hearing from my brothers and sisters in Christ more and more and more have really had to go into the word of God unlike ever before, into prayer like never before, and really began to live with that sense of God's presence. So, you know, my first book was Audacious Generosity. I've just written my second book, and that is Get to the Point, and that is A Passionate Pursuit to the Presence of God. And the subtitle is Every Guidance and Provision You Will Ever Need Can Be Found Today in the presence of God. And I fully believe that with all my heart. And I believe that that's what the Bible teaches us. And so to go back to your to your question, when more and more followers of Jesus really come to that place of realizing 
Every guidance I need is found in the presence of God. Every provision I need is found in the presence of God. What we realize is a source that every person on the planet needs. And so in this book, I really grapple with Western mindset about being a Christian because at age 10, I prayed the sinner's prayer, genuinely saved. I've never doubted my salvation. I was baptized and I was told by the church, you've done everything you need to do to be a Christian. And I was never given a value for the presence of God. And so it wasn't until, as I've already shared, I go to India 20 years later that I began to have a a commitment to pursuing the presence of God in my life. I'm very aware that there would be people listening right now who are thinking this sounds like a totally different language, talking about this presence of God, just as you did back then. As you say, you you went through all the steps that you believed that you needed to go through, and there would be people listening at the moment who would feel, I've done that. There would even be people listening who say, I've never understood this whole thing about God. I'm, I'm so far away from that. I'm wondering if you could start to share, what does seeking the presence of God actually look like? How do we begin that search? Mm, good, great question. I, I think that search began whenever I made a commitment on the plane to passionately pursue his presence. And uh, I, I think the search continued as I began to go to the scripture looking for the presence of God, not just information about God. As I did that, I mean, it's not like um, light bulbs just continued to come on. Just gradually, I began to understand that Jesus was saying that it's for our good that he goes away. And if he does, he will send the helper to us. And really listening to what he said there uh, and began to understand that we have been imparted as a believer with the very the with the very presence of God. The greater thing of you being in the presence of God is the fact of God's presence being within us. And so when we are passionately pursuing the presence of God, what we're opening up our lives to is the reality that his presence has been placed and entrusted within us. And so moment by moment, I can either lean on my own understanding or I can yield over to the understanding of the Holy Spirit. We can read the Bible or we can pull our our chairs up to the Holy Spirit and ask the Holy Spirit to teach us the Bible. If we begin to listen according to the Spirit and see according to the Spirit, God is so willing to share truth with us and to teach us this. One of the things I wrote about in the second book about get to the point is the evidence of being in the presence of God. When you really look at the evidence of the presence of being in the presence of God, it's clarity and it's rest. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burden, and I will give you rest. When you, when you really begin to hear according to your spirit and see by the Holy Spirit the things of God, the, you're, you're connected to wisdom. Proverbs really points us to Jesus, and the wisdom of God is the life of Jesus. It's, God is wisdom. 
the Holy Spirit is the helper to give us wisdom. It says that he will teach us what Jesus has said. And as, as the Holy Spirit helps us, he makes us wiser. He gives us wisdom, the very wisdom of God. There's so many complexities of life that we desperately need Almighty God to make simple for us. And it's religion that takes the simple and makes it complex. But it's grace. It's, it's the presence of God that takes the complex and makes it simple. Clarity is one of the evidences of being in the presence of God, and rest is the second evidence. And do I depend upon what I can produce, or do I depend upon what God can produce? This morning, I was reading Psalm 23, and one of the first things it says is, He allows me to rest in green pastures. It's right there at the very beginning, and I think we miss that. I miss that for the longest part of my life. And now my ministry is really characterized out of a place of rest. I'm busy for the Lord. I'm writing actually my third book already, just finished the second book. And and within the context of writing the second book, God really began to download book number three, which is what what is your word? Uh, I can't wait for that to be released in 2022. And I'm working full time as the executive director of Global Hope India. And I have a family and we have our first granddaughter and life is very busy. But but I am really operating in a place of rest and I'm characterized by rest. I slept at least seven hours, hopefully even eight last night. And I'm 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 free to to let God place the government of my life on his shoulders and I'm not carrying it around on my shoulders, but it's, it's coming out of this priority for the presence of God. And you touched on something very important. And I think it's something that most people miss where Jesus said, Hey, look, I'm, I'm going to leave you, but it's for your own good where we would think these disciples who have spent time with Jesus himself as he instructed them. And he's saying, I'm going away, but I'm sending you something better. It's going to be better for you that I go for what I'm going to leave you. And yet so often we don't grasp that, do we? No, we don't. And if you put yourselves in the disciples' shoes, I'm sure they were incredibly dumbfounded. Like even even with frustration, are you kidding me? Our long-awaited Messiah is literally standing right here in front of us. We have left everything to follow you, Jesus, and now you're telling us you're going to go away? I mean, what on earth are you possibly talking about here? And yet now we see after the fact what they couldn't see in that moment. And now we can see that the reality was Jesus was 100% God and 100% man. And God had so humbled himself This everywhere present God had confined himself to human skin. And in that moment, standing in front of Jesus, they were literally in front of Almighty God, who is everywhere present, and yet he he is confined to human skin. And he is geographically confined to that spot on planet Earth. The disciples were definitely benefiting from being in his presence. But Jesus 
said, it's for your good that I go away because then the father will send the helper to you, the promised one. And so even after right before the ascension and Jesus is uh, crucified, he's buried, he rises again, and then he is about to ascend into the clouds and go back to the father's right hand. He says, stay here and pray that you would receive the, the gift of the Holy Spirit. And they did, and they received the Holy Spirit. And, and that same presence that raised Jesus from the dead, that same power, that same presence that stood in front of them is now imparted into each and every believer. And we see the effect, the effects of that throughout the book of Acts and all throughout the New Testament and into 2021 today. I'm sure that there are people right now who are thinking this presence of God is something that I've heard of, but I've never really pursued. I've never really experienced. And I'm sure that they want to find out more. Where can people get a hold of you and your books? Where's the best place for them to go? Yeah. Uh, My website, kevinwhite.us. My book is listed on Amazon, and so you can uh, actually prove preview it there, but you're more than welcome to come over to kevinwhite.us and there's many free resources there. One of my resources is Generously Blessed. It's a one-minute motivation series. Every day, Monday through Friday, I send you a personal email with a video three days and a devotional the other two days of just really helping you break this down uh, to moment by moment. Uh, Just really wanting to help as many people to live, transform, and prosper in the presence of God as possible. I'm just wondering as we close, if you think back to that difficult time when you were told, no, you're no longer going to be leading this church that you've you've spent so much time and effort on, would you change anything? Would you want to say, no, I'd rather stay on in the church? Or are you happy with the way that God has taken you from there? Mm. I'm incredibly blessed. Um, I don't wish any of the misery I put on people, the pain that I subjected my wife and our family to and those leaders to. Uh, Within a few months of that ordeal, I wrote um, them personally and apologized and asked them to forgive me uh, for the pain that I, I caused them. I wouldn't want to go through the pain. We never are going to choose pain, but I would I would absolutely go uh, through that process all over again to be where uh, I am today, because now I understand the whole point is the presence of God. And I was totally missing it. And as a leader of the church, I was I was helping many people know Jesus and read the Bible, disciple them. But. I was not leading them into the presence of God. We can't lead people further than we are ourselves. Now, uh, the second book, Get to the Point, it, it really encourages the church to understand the whole point is not to give people fire insurance or salvation, the, the Bible, the church, but to give them the presence of God. Not only am I able to lead a small group of people in the USA, but God has given me an international uh, opportunity and I'm grateful for that. And I just want to to join him in that work every opportunity I'm, I'm allowed. And that cliche we often use about Christianity being more about relationship than religion, 
It is something that's true that we often miss. It is a relationship that is deep and abiding, and and that's the presence that we're seeking after, isn't it? Yes, sir. Absolutely. Kevin, it's been a delight to speak to you and so much to talk about here, but I just want to say thank you for what you've shared. Uh, We will put details of where people can reach you in the show notes at bleedingdaylight.net, but thank you once again for joining us on the program. Thank you so much, Rodney. Pleasure's all mine. God bless you. Continue the good work. Thank you for listening to Bleeding Daylight. Please help us to shine more light into the darkness by sharing this episode with others. For further details and more episodes, please visit bleedingdaylight.net.